sometimes poetry encapsulates something that's so deep and profound and it was incredibly liberating to me. It's like, that's how I feel. I feel maternal as well as paternal, a child as well as a man. I feel all these random things that, how could one person feel all those things? But I did and he did and she did. And I was like, whoa, it opened up my whole world. You are listening to Change Lab, conversations on transformation and creativity. I'm Lauren Buckman, president of Art Center College of Design, and today I'll be speaking with Diane Luby Lane. Diane's job title is pretty straightforward. She's the founder and executive director of Get Lit Words Ignite, a leading arts education nonprofit dedicated to increasing literacy and stemming dropout rates among at-risk youth. Her groundbreaking curriculum fusing classic literature with spoken word performance techniques has been adopted by schools around the country, equipping new generations of students with a powerful connection to classic literature, self-expression, and the performing arts. It is a remarkable story, one in which poetry has changed the lives of countless teens. The Get Lit Players, the organization's award-winning poetry troupe, has performed at the White House, the United Nations, and the Hollywood Bowl. They also hold the distinction of being the most-watched poets on the Internet, with over 300 million views and counting. In the words of L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti, the Get Lit Players are changing the landscape of literacy in Los Angeles and providing a model for the rest of the nation. But for all the laurels and accolades Diane has accumulated with Get Lit success, none fully captures the richness and complexity of her journey to leading a dynamic and diverse movement of teen spoken word poets. It was with great pleasure and fascination that I sat down with Diane in Get Lit's bustling headquarters on the border of downtown LA to discuss the redemptive power of poetry and her mission to share it with the world. Please enjoy my conversation with Diane Luby Lane. So thanks for doing this. I have to tell you, just learning about your work and about you was, uh, was really powerful and heart-opening, and uh, it was a great story. And I suspect that so much of your own personal story is behind this, and it's something I'd like to explore initially, too. And there were two very striking echoes that came through as I read about your work. One was the Dante piece, since you did the Inferno, that kind of paradigmatic moment of finding oneself in a dark wood and all that that means for all of us. And the second one was the oft-quoted Walt Whitman, The Song of Myself, right? Do I contradict myself? Very well, then I contradict myself. I am large, I contain multitudes. Because I think there's something about the project of accommodating contradiction that's so important to discovering who we are. So with that kind of overarching look at things, I often love to ask people about their childhood and who they were as they remember themselves as very young kids in terms of what their creative spirit was all about. I remember being extremely sensitive, and I think that there's a cross between sensitivity and creativity. My mom is a good artist. My mom is a good writer. And I think I'm really not good at anything. And honestly, that sounds strange, but when you're such an enormously feeling person and you don't have any outlet, any place to put it, that's a strange combination because a lot of people have outlet in some way. But I love to read, and I write about that a lot, and I talk about that a lot, just ingesting so much information. If I wasn't feeling enough myself, which I was, I was reading an enormous amount of material and just absorbing so much. So to quote Walt Whitman, yeah, Walt Whitman says, you contain enough, why don't you let it out then? And when you don't have a place to let it out, that is scary stuff because it's just like, where do you put it? And eventually it led to me writing a one-person show. I think I've always been a good writer, but... I lived in New Jersey at some Catholic high school. It's like if you didn't put it into an essay about Mark Twain or like, you know, electricity, like where it's not like there was poetry clubs or there was no place to put it. But this passion for reading early on, how early does it go back? I mean, was it early grade school? Yeah, I've always been a great reader. Let's talk about the reading. What was it? What did you find even as a kid in the reading? What got stirred for you? 
It's a very sensual thing for me, even like the pages. And I just think about, and I write about this a little bit in my one person show, which was a long time ago, but I just think that books are such an act of love and generosity and the paper, the, the way they feel, the way they smell, it's like their bodies to hold, they're, they're just extraordinary. I think the other thing about reading is that my dad loved to read and my dad was this sort of awesome person. My dad was six foot two and he was um, such a loving person, the most loving person in the world. And he would read with us every night. So, you know, when you're like little kids and you're folded up inside your dad and he's reading to you and he's so funny. So I think that, that just in every way that reading could have been introduced in a good way to me, it really was through this person too. So then fast forwarding from that, so you find yourself at um, a pivotal moment studying acting. Were you, is that yeah. what you were doing? You were in New York? Yeah. Yes, I was studying acting, which was great. And then um, I worked with this lady named Vivica Lindforce, who was a Broadway actress, and she actually introduced me to Walt Whitman. And I did not think I liked poetry at that time because poems, the way they're presented in school, is, was pretty bad. It's very boring. And... Um, she acted out, she recited Walt Whitman from her memory, and she's this amazing actress reciting this profound work. And one of the things she performed from Walt Whitman was, um, I am a child as well as a man, on and on, basically saying, do I have to contradict myself very well? I contradict myself. And it was the first time I had ever been presented with the idea that we are so much more than the face we present to the world. So it was Song of Myself that she was reciting? Yeah. Yeah. So stay with that moment of Vivica performing the poem. Yeah, performing it. And tell me a little bit more about you in that moment of hearing her and watching her and feeling the poem. So I was in my early 20s and I looked like I was from Iowa. You know, like everything I auditioned for was like this sweet young girl from Iowa basically doing something in a cornfield or something, you know. And then this woman came up who's she was about, I think she was 72 or 74 and she had this like white hair and she was really sexy. And that in and of itself is a contradiction. You're like, how can you be an older, like 72 year old woman and have, but she was from Sweden and she always was a sex symbol and she had enormous presence and enormous style. And she was such a badass. So she like just blew my mind. I auditioned for a play and she cast me in the play. And I think I pretty much played herself. Like we had this amazing connection right away. And, um, and she just came as a guest in an acting class or she, she was teaching. It? She wrote a play and she cast it and she cast me playing the lead with Judd Hirsch and James Cameron Mitchell and a lot of other great people. And it really wasn't anything more than a reading. It never went all the way. But it was this, we did like three performances. But I got really close to her and I had just written a book of monologues. And eventually they got published by um, Samuel French. And I invited her to come to a night when we it was produced. And she was interested and she was like, you know, I have a poetry group. Would you like to be a part of that or something. She worked with like Anna Devere Smith and some people mm. that weren't that well known back then. But she came to my theater group. It was like a bunch of young 20 year olds and she came and she oh, This wanted, was like an acting troupe you were a part of? Yeah. And she wanted to have us start performing poems. And I was really embarrassed because I was like, oh my God, I was telling them all how cool she was. And I'm like, she really is an old lady that wants to come in here and do poems. I'm so sorry. It's so embarrassing. Just like, whatever. We'll just get through this evening. So she showed up and all of a sudden, very Vigo was very dangerous. To warm up, she acted like a clown and she started doing all these crazy clown. Like she just was like, you didn't know what to think of this woman. And then she just started performing poem after poem after poem and completely transforming with each one. One was um, Anne Frank getting her first kiss as a 12-year-old <laughs> and just would completely transform and become that. And then she would play something else, something else. And when she did Walt Whitman, when you're in acting, especially back then, you're always conforming to a type. And the, you know, I had like a dark side, but it could, was never, ever expressed. I mean, all of us are such complex people. That's why the work that we do at Get Lit is like really listening to people. They're not just, people are not just how they appear. And when she did that poem, I'm stuffed with the stuff that is coarse and stuffed with the stuff that is fine. And 
a novice beginning had experienced of myriads of seasons of every hue and cast of my of every rank and religion. I had never, ever heard anyone express that sentiment before. And sometimes poetry does that. It can just encapsulate something that's so deep and profound. And it was incredibly liberating to me. It's like, that's how I feel. I feel maternal as well as paternal, a child as well as a man. I feel all these random things that, how could one person feel all those things? But I did, and he did, and she did. And I was like, whoa, it opened up my whole world. But what was it about that moment, do you think, or her performance, or her energy, or the quality of the words, or the rhythm of it, or the music of it. What opened your heart the way it did? Um, I mean, I could take any of those lines. I'm stuffed with the stuff that is coarse and stuffed with the stuff that is fine. Every time anyone says those words, the whole audience goes, because oh, I think we all feel that way. I'm maternal as well as paternal. Walt Whitman is so interesting. Maybe as a gay poet, perhaps he had the freedom within himself to feel those contradictions more, um, to recognize them in himself more than perhaps some other people that have to express masculinity or whatever. But to say that line, I'm maternal as well as paternal, how many people could say that? How many mm. men mm -hmm. in the 1800s could say that? But a novice beginning yet experience of myriads of seasons. I mean, like, that is such a beautiful line. And in so many parts of my life then and now I am a novice beginning yet I've also experienced so much so every line was just like wow that is how I feel but I, don't, I think it's almost like an itch that you can't scratch you don't even know you have the itch you just have a vague discomfort that however I'm being boxed and however I'm presenting myself like okay I'll play this role but it's a facade it's not deeply connecting to anything that's really truthful inside myself but that line was and and Vivica did. She didn't conform to anyone's notion of who she should be. Yeah, but I think that's partly what I'm trying to explore with you, too, is that it is for sure the content of Whitman's writing. Yeah. But it strikes me as that there were so many other layers operating there. Yeah, with her delivering it and everything. With her delivering it, with your response to it, with your sudden... I mean, I'm struck that you were a great reader and a lover of books in this beautiful way you describe... And yet you weren't particularly responsive to poetry until that moment. Yeah. Well, um, I feel, this is why Gitlet I think is so successful. I feel that so often it's like, now we're going to learn. I mean, we were, we were introduced to Walt Whitman through Oh Captain, My Captain, which was basically like yeah, yeah. the poem that he wrote for the president. Right. If that was explained in a deeper way, it would have been interesting. But on the surface, here's a white-haired guy with a long beard, who looks incredibly boring. And here's the poem that he wrote as a love letter to President Lincoln. Like, how boring is that on every single level? And they just, they missed Walt Whitman, completely missed Walt Whitman. He would have been horrified at that representation of him in that classroom. Walt Whitman's crazy. Every spring he took off all of his clothes and he wrestled with the trees and he swam in the mud. Did they tell us that? No. Did they tell us that his heart was broken and that he fed soldiers ice cream and fell in love with them? And, you know, no. Did they tell us any of these things that he wrote his own reviews that he was, you know, no. Like they just missed every entry that would have made him interesting and relevant to me. So to have someone like bring the words to life through their body, through their instrument with all this emotion and with all this life history, you know, and then we had to go out into the streets of New York City and like shout it at bars and museums and get people to listen. Like that's... Mm -hmm. Poetry is, I've talked about this so much, it's boring, but um, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, these are people that were like radical human beings. And if you don't introduce this work in a radical way, you've completely missed the, the, the messenger and you've missed the energy of it. And it's boring. Then it becomes something that's, they've just killed it, so. The impalpable sustenance of me from all things at all hours of the day the simple, compact, well-joined scheme. Myself disintegrated, everyone disintegrated, yet part of the scheme. Las similitudes del pasado y las del futuro, las glorias colgadas como el alborio en mis vistas y sonidos más pequeños, al caminar por la calle y pasando sobre el río, la corriente corriendo tan rápidamente y nadando conmigo lejos. The others that are to follow me. The ties between me and them. The certainty of others. The life, love, sight, 
hearing of others. So you come to this moment, you discover poetry, almost blindsided by it, just by her sheer power of bringing it to you, echoing with what Whitman is talking about. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Then you go to bars and you go all over the city and you you shout it out. And what's that about? Well, first she said, go create your own set and have an hour's worth of material. And I didn't know any poetry, sadly. So I sat in my apartment in New York City and surrounded by all these books and in the used bookstore and Langston Hughes and finding all this great work and memorizing it and then going to perform it. And having the background as an actor, just understanding what is inherently dramatic. Some Emily Dickinson poems will make a crowd stop and some won't. And so figuring that out has been very helpful to my work at Get Lit, too. And did you find any kind of life in theater and in dramatic literature? Plays and things. Yeah, plays and things. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I guess fate leaves you a certain way because um, not as interesting. And I did. I was in a lot of acting classes and I had to read a lot of plays. I was auditioning a lot for Broadway. You know, I had a very good agent and I was supporting myself by doing commercials. So I was working, but... I didn't land a huge Broadway play, but I got a lot of callbacks, but I would write my own monologues and then say someone else wrote them. And then those ended up getting published by um, Samuel French. Oh, really? So I was really on this path. And why wouldn't you admit that you had written them yourself? Because it's less impressive. I see. I think. But I would write stuff that was like, could really allow me to explode as an actor and that they wouldn't have heard a thousand times. And did you make up playwrights' names and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. And, um... Yeah. And I would just, I was, I was really doing some really deep work with um, all those books you see down there. These massive books are poems that were written by hand and then were typed. And I would get a call for like the hottest Broadway show. And I was like, okay, I didn't want to leave my apartment. And I didn't quite understand what I was doing. It was like, what is wrong with me? I am doing this for nothing. Why is this like, it's now my life work, but I did not know that. I just knew that I was obsessed with, um, and were you at that know. paradigmatic moment, do you think, of finding yourself in a dark wood and journeying through? Does that echo for oh you? Oh, my God. That lasted a long time. Um, well, it does. I mean, a lot of our lives can be in that moment, right? Yeah. I think like my late 20s were very difficult because it's because um yeah I mean I honestly especially my path was creating something that didn't exist so again you spent a lot of time doing work for what what was I doing it was a very strange pastime collecting poems and quotes so I collected thousands of quotes from all the books that I had read and that took a lot of time. I did that one-person show eventually. That was very helpful. That saved my life, doing that one-person show and but getting it out. Can we talk about that one-person show? Yeah. Tell me about it. When I was in my late 20s, I moved to San Francisco, like 27, 26, and I got involved with Spoken Word. Spoken Word emerged in San Francisco with a group called Youth Speaks. Youth Speak, right, right. I was taught that there was a thin line between love and hate. Two of the same doors that cross into parallel universes. I know that there's a thin line between love and hate. Transparency between broken bones, bruised up scars, swollen hearts, and tears turned into frost. Black girl, have you forgotten how to love? And that was pretty like, wow, because I was a very good monologue writer. And then I, spoken word is just a three minute monologue about yourself versus I would make them up for all different kinds of people. But um, I was blown away. I saw kids performing. I was just blown away by the art form. I'd never seen it before. So that was like, wow. You know, and I got involved with Youth Speaks working there. Um, They didn't have any of the work like memorizing classic poems and performing it. They did not do that. So it was different than what we do at Get Lit. But... And I got married and I had a baby and that was very centering for me because it was just to have a family was very grounding. Um, But there was still, I remember feeling so sad. Like I just felt like I had enormous pain about still not being able to get out whatever I was trying to get out and I didn't know how to do it. And I wrote, I collected these quotes and I tried to publish them and no one wanted to publish them. And it was just 
it was really, really, really hard. And I remember thinking of, I can't get this out of me. I'm going to get sick. I, I don't, I didn't know what to do. And my dad died and I was at this like moment where he died and he had just passed. And the second I like walked away from his body, this feeling went through me, like call this guy, Jeffrey Burr, who was a director in San Francisco. And I ended up working with him and he helped me create this one person show. And I had already collected like a thousand pages and he read all of them. And he said, the only thing interesting, he said, the only original thought in all of this is this one paragraph. And it was about books. I had written about boyfriends and I'd written about my childhood and all of it, he said, was uninteresting except for this piece that I think he was becoming. right. Yeah, I do. You do. Yeah. I think I was extremely lucky to have found him because um, it was started off books are warm and sensual. And I talked about that. And as you've described earlier in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which and is I, very powerful, by the way. Yeah. I don't know. It's really weird because the, the show became about that. And then my life became about that. So he was right. Okay, so you find your way to doing this show, Deep Sea... Yeah, Deep Sea Diving. Diving, Mm -hmm. right. And uh, can you tell us about that show? I played 18 different characters. I played a bunch of different authors, and I played all kinds of things. And what was the learning of that show for you? Why was that an important, pivotal moment? Because I know it does lead to the founding of Get Lit, correct? Yeah. Well, I had tried. I had thought all these years that I wanted to be an actor, and I was supporting myself as an actor, but I would be like... I would get to the last, I would, I screen tested for a lot of stuff. I met a lot of directors. I'd get like three people and then I wouldn't get the job. And that happened for a long time. I mean, I never landed a huge movie, but I would be with like, this is a long time ago. So I'd be with like Demi Moore and PBK and like all these really big people and meet all these huge directors. And now I see that it wasn't, I mean, I was so really neurotic and shy. Like I, I, good thing it didn't become me because I don't think I don't have the temperament for that. But I didn't understand why all these years I was like in acting, but it never clicked. And um, when I did the show, it was so clear and working with Jeffrey, it's like it gave me just enough to be able to do that show really well. And then I was like, I never want to do this again. So it was like funny, but it I was lucky that my path all those years was around writing and around acting and around all these things. So that opportunity to be with Jeffrey and do this one person show and play a million different characters, I like got that out of my system. Like that wasn't my journey. I don't know. It's like now I'm so happy being behind the scenes and watching all these brilliant young people fly. And that just means everything to me. But I have absolutely no desire to be the person. So it really like got it out of my system. And is it the performing part that's not any of interest to you? Is it are you just more comfortable in a kind of more directorial slash teaching slash coaching slash loving position? Yeah. I mean, you know how we said I struggled to find my creativity all those years? Yeah. What I do is so incredibly creative. I mean, running a business to me is like, I love it. It's so creative. And okay, so there's this job and this opportunity. And if I put this up here and if we do this and I can see like six months down the road, it's like a puzzle. And I have it all in my brain and I see how we're going. And I see the people, the podcast that I listen to are all the entrepreneurs. I don't listen to poetry podcasts and I don't listen. And I love poetry, obviously. I live for it. It saved my life. I love it. But I listen to entrepreneurial podcasts. I just, that kind of like growing something. And we've created like this home here and this family and this tree that all these brilliant artists fly from. It just, like, I love it so much. That's my thing. Let's talk about how you, the beginnings of Get Lit. And if you can just talk about what it was about, how you started to formulate the idea, why and how, and how it related to that moment maybe with Vivica when suddenly poetry blindsided you and went to your heart. Um, I finished the one-person show, but I just knew that there was something huge that I didn't know what 
you know, I feel like I feel like they say that the oak tree is inside the acorn. We're trying to birth these things that are bigger than ourselves sometimes, and we don't understand what it is yet. And it was really, really difficult. Um, and by the way, if I could interrupt for a second, because you referenced this earlier about this kind of pain you felt that you had something to get out. Yeah. Was it that you didn't know what it was? Was it that you didn't know how to do it? All I, of the above. All of the above. I had so it was just like a, a gnawing, a, or or worse than a gnawing. Yeah. Oh gosh. It just. There's a beautiful song I heard recently, and oh, this song is so gorgeous. And it said, "Their first word problem, first world problems, but they still break your heart." It was the prettiest line I've ever heard. And because we understand when people go through a death or a sickness, or there's all kinds of heartaches that we understand. But another heartache is like finding your path, finding your way, being a person that wants to give something and not knowing how, it's very difficult. And um, But you, I get the impression you felt the power of that internally. Yeah. Even though maybe you couldn't name it or shape it or describe it. I did. And I think it goes back to, in a way, being this little kid, like really connected to something quiet. You could say it's a love, a giant feeling of some connection that is thwarted. Oh, I, I just... It was tremendously sad for me. And um, yeah, it was really, really sad. And um, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but yeah. I'm, I'm so compelled by this that th this next question is meant to be a serious one, even with all that you've accomplished. Does the pain persist in its way? No. No. Now it's like being, um, they say that you're driven, a person's driven. And I thought one day, if that's true, because I do feel very driven, then you think, well, what is pressing the gas on you? It's literally like, I feel like someone's something is pressing the gas on me. So I feel a lot of, um, I feel a lot of, it doesn't feel like pain anymore. It feels like passion, feels like power, hmm. feels like a lot. I know I'm a channel for a lot of energy and that's fun to like, <laughs> to direct it. Like it's just, it's a different feeling now. It's a different, but I have an outlet for it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. Back then, you know, it didn't exist. And I, as I've already explained to you, the most untalented person in the world. So I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do with it? And how? And But not to be cute, you contradict yourself because you're clearly not the most untalented person in the world. And I mean, in that passion, that inclination, and in that yeah. way of engaging. So Whitman wins the day on that one. I think I was lucky in that I was humbled early on. Gitlit has been like, what do I have to lose? Absolutely nothing. There's, n I have nothing to lose. And the first, I don't know, seven years of Gitlit were just complete humiliation and humbling myself every single day. I didn't care. What did I have to lose? Which is such a gift. What is Get Lit? And wh why is this the expression that had to come out of Diane? Well, I have a lot of empathy for children. I so much. I think I was so sensitive when I was little because my parents got divorced and we didn't see my dad for a long time. I've already explained to you how much I love my dad. And I just I just really feel for children because so often they're just stuck in whatever condition they're given and they have no power. None. And I also feel so much for the authors that have given me so much that are so misrepresented. That really upsets me for them. And um, so I had all the poems that I had collected all these years, and there were some that I just thought were so resonant and interesting. And I thought, I'm pretty sure high school kids would like these pieces. And so I read them aloud, and kids would raise their hand and claim the piece that they wanted to memorize and they would memorize, perform it, and then write their own response to it. Write so their own you, poem would, back you would to read it, it to them? Mm -hmm. You would stand in front of the class and read a poem? Yeah. And you'd say, okay, does anybody yeah. connect with this? Yeah. It's and that's pretty vulnerable because most likely they're not going to, right? Has anyone ever supposed it lucky to be born? I hasten to inform him or her that it's just as lucky to die. And I know it. I've passed death with the dying and birth with the new washed babe, and I'm not contained between my hat and boot. Walt Whitman. And students raised their hand. Yeah.
and said, I connect with this Whitman piece. I connect with this yeah. Neruda piece, whatever yeah. it is. And that kind of made me like spicy and angry. I have a lot of anger too because I feel like, because I love the teachers I work with. Like I'm very close to teachers, but sometimes in education, again, people will decide what's appropriate for other people to hear. And it just makes me so angry because you know, I have had teachers who I, in the end I've gotten very close to, but they would say, please don't bring poems, bring like rap lyrics or bring, um, you know, curse a lot or just bring something that the kids will relate to or care about. They don't know who is that person to decide what this child will find interesting, just like they used to do to me. Why did they find it interesting? Because these why wasn't kids... it boring like Captain Mike? Oh, Captain, my captain that you experienced. What was the difference? Well, I would let's say kids are, are often going through so much like maybe one of their parents is dying maybe one of their parents got deported maybe they just got broken up with maybe they just bullied someone in lunch and now they feel really bad about it i mean there's all these trapped feelings inside their hearts and if you read something to them that it that hits on the head what they're feeling kind of like i did in that thing yeah that's the parallel i'm mm -hmm. so interested in that yeah that your experience echoes throughout this whole project exactly it's like when it hits that feeling it's like <gasps> It, you, you can't believe it. Hey, Mom, can we talk? So our two female cats have been humping each other, and while we're on the subject, hey, hey Mom, Mom, can, can we, we talk? talk? So about that girl I've been studying with? Hey, Mom, can, can we, we talk? talk? Two, two boys, boys asked me out over the summer, summer but, but I said no to both, both because it felt wrong, like a peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwich. <sighs> because they were cute. And I'm afraid because, because his, his touch was, was a baptism in a pool of shattered glass. I should have no reason to tell you. But also no reason not to say, I'm, I'm queer. queer. It's just, it's, it's it, remarkable. But, but it, was it simply a matter of your standing in front of a group of people and speaking it, performing it? I think because so. Because it didn't happen for you in school. Well, um... It's approaching it in a certain way. So now we train teachers who go in front of their students and do it. And these teachers are, are very successful with it. Um, it's having the right material, first of all. But I think it's you too. See, and, I, and as a student of, of theater and performance, I think about it that way. Because I think, I think you were telling them a secret about yourself that they connected with. It wasn't just the poem, which is also what I was trying to drive at with that moment hearing Vivica. It wasn't just the content of Whitman that you were responding to. There are all these layers going on yeah. of what was happening, of what the performance was, of who she was, who, what she represented to you. And whatever moment you were in, in your own life where you needed that to be able to take the next step yeah. through that and out of that dark wood. Yeah, I think so. And I think that um, there's something about when you feel listened to. I feel like we don't ever listen to, people don't listen to each other. And school is an act of not being listened to mm. for six, seven hours a day. Not being honored, yeah. Not being honored or heard. For who you are, yeah. If you think of a poem, a line of a poem can feel like you're being listened to in a way. And if you ask someone to say, choose the piece that where you feel something. I mean, that whole is very kind of intimate. You're admitting to a room, oh, I feel heard in this piece. I think people are starving to be heard because maybe I had a lot of impact in that room, but that wouldn't explain why all these other teachers are having the same impact with these poems that I had. I mean, I walk into classrooms now and I'm like, I am humbled. I mean, these teachers are so mm. beautiful mm. and it's so sweet with these students. They Except that maybe they too have permission to show some part of themselves to tell some sort of secret to show some element of vulnerability. For the black kids in my eighth grade Spanish class, for Eddie, T, Alexis, Michelle, island at the center of the room, dark utopia in the middle of middle school. When the girls I was friends with in sixth grade started bullying me in eighth grade, I stopped talking to them. In retaliation, they shoved me in the halls, pushed my books out of my hands and talked shit loud in class for everyone to hear. Worst of all, they made fun of my Spanish. So I drifted to sit with the black kids, and it was there in the classroom of Senora Quinones, the four desks in the middle of the room, I could unveil my whole self without shame. 
for the group of people who helped me find my natural rhythm. You have given that to them. That's that, a good point. I'm trying to get at this mm -hmm. amazing success that is Get Lit. And That's a good point, because teachers say that all the time. It has to come from the heart, this, this success, right? Yeah, yeah. Because poetry's been around a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I teachers say we have as much, we're as close to our teachers as our students. And yeah, they feel like this is why I got into teaching. So I want to circle back again for listeners just to make sure they understand. Can you just do a bit of a descriptive what's Get Lit and what's Get Lit Players and what's Get Lit Slam? Get Lit is a nonprofit that is that uses classic and spoken word poetry to um, increase teen literacy and empowerment in their own lives. And it's an original curriculum that's in over 100 schools now that is taught by teachers and um, culminates every year in something called the classic slam. Autumn leaves fall from aging trees. The sun rays leave the air in the golden haze. Hey there, hello. I never realized how beautiful the sky could be. Yellow. Almost as beautiful as a deep black night lit up only by the clinching goodbyes of stars millions of miles away. But I can't enjoy that today or tonight, or any other time I exist, because if you have too much melanin in your skin, you aren't accepted under the sun, and at night you must stay in. I am a black boy. So there's individual slams going on in all of these schools, and the top poets come together and represent their school, and then all come together in April to compete in this event. And we now have students from out of state flying in to compete, and. It's grown to be a really good thing. And can you talk a little bit about your approach to it? I mean, there you were standing in front of the class and reading a poem, and, you, and they connected to it. But you also have the students memorize poems and then do a response. And if you could explain that. Yes. So we'll let, I'll tell you about the first high school, but I started teaching in Fairfax, Walt Whitman, and um, Fremont. And in Fairfax High School, they claimed poems and memorized. And then they wrote their responses and... Yeah. I mean, kids are shocked. Like, I can't write a poem. I don't know how to do that. And so then the, the I, learning how to respond to something and share their own words is hugely impactful for them. Stand clear. The doors are closed. And I've been waiting for this bus for 30 minutes. Class starts at 8. I, I fell asleep, asleep at 2. It's a two-hour bus ride. ride. I'm hoping the driver will let me slide like skates on ice. Maybe if I ask nice like driver, my ambition is your job title. And in my backpack under my textbook is the law. So, so I, I know, know my rights. He doesn't want to hear no excuses. Stand clear. The doors are closing. This commute is my life. Fast with brief stops in the belly of the beast. I'm just trying to go to school, dodging organized gangs including the cops. I refused to rot in this cesspool. I gave him 125 and it cost 150. Now the bus broke down. I'm, I'm in, in the, the middle, middle of downtown, downtown with an empty bus pass and a smile. Let's hope they let me in for free. I gotta get to class in a while. Stay clear. At Fairfax High School, we did our final show at Greenway Court Theater. And afterwards, as I walked out of sight, it just didn't feel like it was over. And Pat Abrams was the head of the Fairfax English department. We ended up becoming really close. And she brought her students after school to the library to me because they wanted to start coming at night. And then we started an after school. That was our original Get Lit Players. And it was so small. We just invited their, they started memorizing a lot of poems. And then it's like, okay, now I have this work. Where, who am I going to share it with? And so we had like little shows for the library or their parents or whatever. And then we started booking them in shows like, I don't know, now they perform all over the world and they get these really big shows and their their poems are the most watched poets on the internet. They just have gotten a lot of success. Yeah, listen to that, most watched poets on the internet, which is millions of people, right? Yeah, it's millions of kids. Poetry. Yeah. Here in America, in every single state, they have a set of standards for every subject, a collection of lessons that the teacher is required to teach by the end of the term. But the greatest lessons you will ever teach us will not come from your syllabus. The greatest lessons you will ever teach us you will not even remember. You never told us what we weren't allowed to say. 
We just learned how to hold our tongues. Now, now somewhere in America, there's a child holding a copy of Catcher in the Rye, and there's a child holding a gun. But only one of these things have been banned by their state government, and it's not the one that can rip through flesh. It's the one that says F you on more pages than one. Because we must control what the people say, how they think. And if they want to become the overseer of their own selves, then we'll show them a real one. Poetry is the only part of publishing that skyrocketed. Like all of publishing is down except for poetry. Which is exactly behind my question. How do you connect to a poem? Well, how does one connect to a poem? It's so easy. I mean, it's so funny. If I was to say here right now, just meeting you, and I was to say, I'm going to read you 10 poems right now. And I want you to tell me, I want you to raise your hand on the one you connect with. You would automatically be like, oh, <clears throat> okay. I mean, you just feel so like, heard and seen it's kind of exciting like oh you're gonna see which one i pick and then if if i gave you that whole piece and i said now i want you to tell me the line or the stanza that you really connect with and then you'd say oh well okay um i'm not asking you how smart you are i'm not asking you what the i'm not asking we do get into all that with get lit i mean our kids are really scholars and they break down poems and their vocabulary is amazing but to start It's just kind of like, who are you, person over there on the couch? Who are you? What is the line that you connect with? And then if you said, well, it's this line, doors are like flying trapezes in the mountains most high, I'd say, why that line? And you'd say, well, and you know, the closer and more and more and more you break it down, you will feel seen and heard. And it feels so good. Again, I think that people are just dying for that experience. I think it's so rare to be heard and seen, and you're getting it from the poet, you're getting it from the page, you're getting it from the person that you're working with. Exactly. Then you take that home, and then you dive down deeper into that. You, then you get it with yourself. Like, well, why does that affect me? And then you just like, as a response, okay, respond, start, what is it? And then you just start writing, 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 and you throw up on the page, and it's horrible, and it doesn't look anything like a poem. But you get out something, and then the person across from you reads it all and goes, okay, for me, it's that right there. That, for me, feels like very interesting. And you say, yeah, that, for me, kind of feels like what it is, too. And then you take that one little piece, put that at the top of the page, and go again until this itch that you've had inside of you, something that you felt, something you've never even thought about before, maybe, but it suddenly become very present and surface is released on the page and when you craft it you work on it you more and more and then wow that's actually really good and then you share it with people and then they're like that's incredible can I just tell you that when you did that one part then I felt like this and it's like wait. now all of a sudden you have community around this truthful say, thing I was gonna say and part of what you've achieved is you've you've created creative community for people right yeah oh, yeah for sure <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And you also, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase something I th think I read that you said, and if I butcher it, forgive me and you can correct it, but that it's uh, almost the difference between the experience of, I'm not smart enough to get this poem. Yeah. Oh, Captain, my Captain experience. Yeah. Versus that poem is part of me. Yeah. And it seems to me that the difference is... A dry academic environment, maybe, but also the difference in reading a poem mm -hmm. and performing a poem, which mm -hmm. is why I was so interested in the memorization part. Yeah. That you yeah. metabolize it, you internalize it. It becomes part of you. Yeah, there's something that sparks that you resonate with, but you want these kids to, to own it. Yes. Absolutely. Once upon a man, I dreary while I ponder, we can weary over many equation queries, volume of forgotten note. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping after someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. What? Only this and nothing more. I distinctly, I remember. When it, when it beats with your heart, it's in your blood, and you can share it on the beach or at your parents' deathbed or something, it's, it's really hard to... When you perform something, you have to understand it. So in order, when you work with someone on their on their performance of a poem, it's really clear, like, do you understand what you're saying there? Do you know what that word means? You, you can tell when somebody doesn't. They're right. just going over it. Yeah, so to perform something and to make it come alive and to not put everybody else to sleep, you have to have some investment, some emotional investment in it. And um, 
it changes everything. If you passively read something out loud, you know, poetry, it's literally put you to sleep. It, it, so it's that some people are great readers, but most of us aren't. And that act of embodying it is is different. But I think to use an overused phrase, maybe that's part of the secret sauce. Yeah, the memorizing of the classic. The memorizing, but the performing, the, oh, the yeah. integration. I mean, this performance element to me, and maybe it's my own orientation toward the theater, but this performance element is so incredibly important to me. And it's why I resonated so much with what you were saying about the book. The book is not words. The book is all the things that you talked about. It's texture, it's feel, it's shape, it's smell. It's full sensual kind of experience, yeah. right? Yes. There's perform- That's performative yes. to me. The book is doing that, and you're <laughs> relating to it that way, in this beautiful way. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have this most interesting experience of teaching Shakespeare at Art Center, which is uh, students who had zero acting training. They're all these incredibly brilliant designers and artists, but they're not performing artists. And the first three weeks were kind of stumbling around Hamlet. And then I said to them, do 50 lines, find a partner and do a scene. And so they came and bravely kind of tried to perform their scenes. And it was moving and it was notable and it was great. But from that moment on, that play was theirs. Mm. The shift in the class from the first three weeks hmm. to doing that assignment to what happened afterwards was stunning. And suddenly they, they owned Hamlet. I love it. And you didn't tell them what part to pick out to Not do? Not anything. It That's was that just that. 50 lines of, oh, this one speaks to this one and this one has to move around and That's there's so a cool. joke here, there's a... Hmm sly comment there there's a little poke there Hmm. and they found theater Hmm. and then they related to the plays not as these boring classical in the worst sense dusty old works but something that came alive for them i love they had their body in it they had their body in it that's right and they got up and they moved and they realized as they read more that this is to be performed And it just strikes me that your work and your life and these, this incredible work that you've done with kids, hmm. bringing them alive. I mean, I think you actually say, at some point, again, I hope I don't butcher it, but it's, you're not only changing their lives, in some cases you're saving their lives. Sitting in her room through lightning and dark, a young girl carries a grown woman's burden. She sits in her room, rain and wind pounding on her window, sorrow and pain pounding at her heart. Tears burning her rosy cheeks, the realities of life destroying her beauty. The consequence of love has left its mark. There's a storm tonight outside her doors and a storm inside her mind. She clutches her midsection and chokes on her tears behind the eyes of a girl who wished to be a woman with sadness and fear. Never in her wildest dreams did she envision this happening to her. You see, she was 15 and he was 19. Her emotions blazed out of control. Yeah, I mean, the community aspect definitely saves lives, the friendships that are formed. And again, school takes so many hours of your day. Mm. And um, get lit's lucky because we're an academic class, an English class, so you're forced to take it. And in a lot of cases, and there's not a, a lot of this kind of work going on in a lot of academic classes. Of course, with some great teachers, there is in history and all kinds of classes, science, but um, not enough of it. There's so much to do. I feel like there's so, we have to like, this sounds so corny, but there's so many people to love and to see. There's so many kids that are stuck in homes where they're just sad, right? There's so much reaching out we have to do to he, other humans. So I really want to bring this work all over the country and, um, help more kids and i feel like our authors are even it's so simple this curriculum is so simple it's just like open young people putting in their hands some master piece and there's such so much that they can just choose whatever suits them and then they're off and running you know kind of a spiritual project for you all this work and I think what I mean by that is spiritual in the sense that it it kind of helps transcend our separateness 
mm-hmm. from each other. It's a kind of way of making connection of creative community, as we alluded to before. It's your way of connecting in, even as you get this thing out that was once painful and now turns passion. Is this a spiritual project for you? What yes. you do? Yes, well, and 100% spiritual. And how would you talk about it? Um, even my old acting teacher, Susan Batson, she would, she was really scary. She's like five foot, five feet tall. She'd scream, make it art. She used to scream, make it art. If you did shitty work and you didn't tell the truth, she would just jump out and scream at you, make it art. She took it so seriously. And there's something about, and I'm very demanding too, in a loving way, but it's like when you perform that line, really feel it, really mean it, really get yourself out, tell the truth, tell the truth. And you could be really quiet. You could be a person that whispers, but if you tell the truth, it has so much power and resonance. And that's a spiritual act. And if you heard of Don Juan, Carlos Castaneda, those sure. books, yeah. um, be impeccable, be impeccable. Whatever you do, be an impeccable warrior. So if you're doing this poem, if you're doing this line, if you're doing this word, enunciate it, say it clearly, put your intent in it, put your power in it. And that act is a spiritual act. So um, I don't know. We don't we don't accept less than the truth. We don't allow people to get out of the blah, blah. We don't allow it. We demand that it be, that it, that it have that kind of weight behind it. Right. And again, the performative is so critical to the whole thing. It's not just reading a poem. No, it's really mm. not. And it's and and the, that sacred teaching and that way of performing, that's why I think people raise their hands and said I I connect with that because you were delivering it. <laughs> it, that can't be separated out, right? Well, your what about, truth, your secret, or the teacher that's bringing or their the teacher truth. that's bringing it, and then they themselves do it as they perform. Yes, that's true. And this becomes this wonderful contagion of truth, right? Yeah, that's true. That's really true. And and yeah, I love that line, Comrado. I give you my hand. I give you my love more precious than money. What Whitman, um, Comrado? I give you my hand. You know, shall we stick with each other as long as we live? I give you live? my love more precious than money. That's it. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. And that's so spiritual, isn't it? It's like the other world to like extending their hand and reaching out for this young person to have courage and faith and strength to go share themselves with the world. And sometimes it takes just a little hand on the back of your back, a little spotting, a little support. And I think poems give you that. Um yeah. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. It's so wonderful to have the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you so much. Change Lab is produced out of Art Center College of Design. I'd like to extend a special thanks to our small but mighty production staff. Producer Christine Spines, co-producer Luis Silva, editor Emily Van Bergen, and post-production supervisor and production consultant Christopher Olin.